Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. What comes to your mind when people say New York City? Well, probably a a huge city. How about Las Vegas? Well, probably a, a sinful city. Chicago? Well, everybody knows Chicago is the windy city. You know, cities can come to have reputations. They become known for certain characteristics and sometimes for certain events that took place there. For example, if I say Woodstock, everyone thinks of a city where a major concert took place that has become a legend of the 60s rock and party generation. If I say Pearl Harbor, you will immediately think of one of the darkest days of America's history, when our country was attacked by the Japanese in a surprise move that left our Navy crippled and our nation outraged. If I say the Alamo, you will probably think of brave courage in the face of certain defeat. Cities really come to have a life of their own, and cities in the Bible work the same way. In the course of the life of the nation of Israel, several cities came to have important events take place there, and as a result came to have certain associations. Later writers, especially the prophets, will often pick up on these city stereotypes to make a point or to bring a warning. Now, most people, generally speaking, know the significance of Jerusalem. But how much do you know about Shiloh, or Bethel, or Jezreel? Let's take Jezreel as our example for today. In the first chapter of Hosea, the prophet has several children who all function as warnings to the nation of Israel. The second and third child are named Lo-Ruhama and Lo-Ami. Now, both of these are Hebrew phrases meaning, no mercy and not my people. Well, it's pretty obvious to see how those are dire warnings about the future of Israel. But the name of Hosea's first child is a little bit strange. He names his son Jezreel. And the name Jezreel means God plants. How is that name a threat or a warning or a message to Israel? Well, if, if we read the verse where Hosea names his son, it will give us a little bit of context and it will actually send us on a quest that will help us unlock the meaning of the verse. Now, Hosea 1.4 reads, And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. God connects the city of Jezreel to bloodshed, specifically the bloodshed of the house of Jehu, or that's a phrase that means the dynasty of Jehu. So, what did Jehu do, and why is Jezreel associated with bloodshed? Well, there's a couple ways we could go about doing that. We could cheat and just look it up in a Bible dictionary, or we could do our own inductive study. I'm actually going to start by cheating and give a little bit of the background of the city, and then we're going to do our own study and dig into what Scripture has to say about Jezreel. Now, I looked Jezreel up in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, and this is how the article there starts. Jezreel is a place. Definition 1, it was the town originally founded by the tribe of Issachar, to the south of Shunem, a site that was abandoned in the El Ar- uh, Amarna period by earlier settlers, which you can read uh, a reference to in Joshua 19.18. Uh, the city became associated with a number of important events in the history of Israel. Okay, so again, not really learning anything, but this is just some, some helpful background. Uh, the baker goes on and it says, it probably gained some of its importance from the decline of the ancient town of uh, Bethshan during the Iron Age. Jezreel became the center of an important district in Saul's kingdom, 2 Samuel 2.9, and a nearby spring served as the rallying point for Saul's army before they met the Philistines in the Battle of Mount Gilboa, 1 Samuel 29.1. After Saul's death, the town was for a short time part of Ishbosheth's kingdom, 
2 Samuel 2, 8-11. And in Solomon's day, it was associated to the 10th district of Issachar and was excluded from the main Jezreel Valley. It was administered by Jehoshaphat, son of Perua. And uh, so far, everything we've been reading is, is pretty boring and actually, you know, not all that helpful. I mean, it, it's interesting, but it doesn't really uh, shine any light on Hosea until we come to the next sentence in their article which says, In the days of Omri, 885 to 874 BC, it was chosen as the site of the king's winter capital, and four kings of his dynasty, down to Joram, all resided there. Now, this is where things start getting interesting, and this is where we're going to do our own study. Um, If you were to go to BibleGateway.com or uh, really any number of, of online Bibles, you can search for certain words. And so if you just type in Jezreel uh, and Jezreelite, you're going to see that those two words show up 44 times in the King James Version, okay? 11 of those occurrences are in 1 Kings 21, and 10 of those occurrences are in 2 Kings 9. That means these two chapters of our Bible contain almost half the references to Jezreel. Well, looking at these two chapters are going to be very important then, and they're actually going to help us know why it is that Hosea calls his firstborn Jezreel and what kind of associations that name would have set off in somebody's mind in the days of Israel. 1 Kings 21 tells the story of Ahab and Naboth. Now, this is the classic story of Ahab's selfish, pouty desire to get the vineyard of Naboth for himself. Now, Naboth refused to sell the vineyard because the Lord had said the land was supposed to remain in the family. Even after Ahab offered a better vineyard or the value of the vineyard in money, Naboth refused to sell. And for Ahab, that would have just been the end of it. He went back to his castle and he started pouting. Unfortunately, Ahab had a very wicked wife who convinced her husband to let her take care of the problem. Her solution involved falsely accusing Naboth of blasphemy, a charge punishable by death, and making sure that he was executed for it. Afterwards, she allows uh, her husband to go and purchase the vineyard now that Naboth is dead. Elijah comes on the scene and tells Ahab that because of this wicked deed, God was going to take the kingdom away from him and give it to one of his servants. Now, this is a little bit surprising. I mean, Ahab has done a lot of really bad things up until this point. And even more so, he's allowed his wife to do some really awful things. But God is so upset by this particular injustice in Jezreel against a godly man who is living by integrity, even when it costs him to do so, that it is at this point that God prophesies that Ahab will lose his kingdom. God even goes so far as to say that the dogs will lick the blood of Jezebel, and note this, in Jezreel, that is, in the winter capital itself. Now, surprisingly, Ahab humbles himself and seems to genuinely mourn, at, at least over the consequences of his sin. And God responds to Ahab's humility, as broken and as imperfect as it might have been, with grace. And he tells Elijah that because the king has humbled himself, God will bring this judgment, but he's going to bring it in the days of Ahab's sons and not during Ahab's own lifetime. Now, this brings us to the second chapter that mentions Jezreel quite a bit, and that's 2 Kings chapter 9. This is the story of Jehu's assassinating Jehoram, the son of Ahab, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah. He then goes to the palace itself and kills Jezebel, by having her thrown from the window to the ground. And in chapter 10, he goes on a massacre, killing all of Ahab's sons, his friends, and the priests who served him. Now, 
there's a little bit of confusion sometimes about whether or not God was okay with Jehu's actions. After all, God is the one who tells Jehu to overthrow Ahab. God had predicted that all of Ahab's descendants would be wiped out. So why um, would Jehu's dynasty be punished for doing what God told him to do in Hosea 1.4? Well, the most likely reason for this is that in Jehu's zeal, he went beyond what God had told him to do. If we read that story carefully, which we don't have time to do right now, we'll see that he assassinated not just Ahab and his family, but also nobles who were loyal to Ahab and even the king of Judah and several from his royal family later. As we study the life of Jehu, it appears that Jehu was not using uh, violence as a necessary evil to serve God, but actually was himself a very violent man who took the permission of God to overthrow Ahab as a license to unleash carnage on the land of Israel. Now, what does all of this have to do with Hosea? Well, at the beginning of Hosea's ministry, the great-grandson of Jehu is sitting on the throne. Hosea's message, when put against this background of carnage and devastation, becomes perfectly clear. The house of Ahab was forced to pay for the violence of Ahab, and now the house of Jehu was going to pay for the violence of Jehu. When you say Woodstock in America, everyone thinks of a large rock concert and a party. When you said Jezreel and Israel, people thought of a city that was just filled with a history of violence. But here's the cool thing. Hosea doesn't just stop there. He actually turns the meaning of Jezreel on its head, just as he does later with the names No Mercy and Not My People. Listen, for example, how Hosea ends chapter 2 of his book. In verse 21 we read, And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. You know, we've talked a lot about what happened in the city of Jezreel Um, But we only briefly mentioned the meaning of the word Jezreel. Do you remember remember what it meant in Hebrew? The name Jezreel actually means God plants. So do do you see what Hosea did there at the end? He switched the association of Jezreel. It was a city that was known for bloodshed, but Hosea picks up on the meaning of the name and says that Jezreel will actually become a symbol for God's restoration of the people. God will plant the people back in the land of Israel after they are carried away, and he will abundantly bless the nation, especially those crying out from the disgraced city of Jezreel. Let me read those verses again. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord. I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel, the city God sows. Know what he says next, and I will sow her, the nation of Israel, unto me in the earth or in the land, probably a reference to the land of Israel. And I will have mercy upon her that had obtained no that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which are not my people, Thou art my people, and they will say, Thou art my God. You see, this is what God does. God repurposes and God restores. He He takes cities like Jezreel, known for violence and sin, and promises to correct them and to richly bless them in the future. 
Jezreel is just another example of the character of our God who is rich in mercy and who can take what is broken and defiled and turn it into something beautiful. You know, I actually want to end the podcast today by reading the end of Hosea chapter 1. After Hosea gives these very stern and dire names to his children, the names Jezreel, no mercy, and not my people, he ends the chapter by saying this. He says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Mm-hmm.